We are in Genesis 22, a passage that most of us are very familiar with. And as we have been studying Abraham and his life, we get to 22 and the first verse says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Abraham is about to encounter his supreme test. Now, we have journeyed with him, and we've seen his life, and we have gone through these tests with him, but nothing like this. James, in chapter 1, says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. It literally means when you're apprehended by, caught off guard by various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. God's goal for us is maturity, that we might be complete in Christ. And so he allows these tests to come into our life. You know, life can be compared to a roller coaster. Um, how many of you remember the Zippin' Pippin'? Anybody ride the Pippin' when it was in Memphis? You can see the picture right there. I grew up riding the Pippin'. We love to do the Pippin' over and over and over. I love roller coasters. There are typically two kinds of people. You either love them or you hate them, right? One thing we know about roller coasters, when you're on it, you are not in control. You are at the mercy of that roller coaster. And the Pippin, actually, I didn't know this, was built somewhere around 1915, 1917. It's one of the largest wooden roller coasters in the, in the world. And it was in Memphis at the Mid-South Fair and later Liberty Land until 2005. And when that closed, it was actually purchased, and it is still operational in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So if anybody wants to ride the Pippin, <laughs> that's where you'll find it. We know that sometimes our life feels like a roller coaster, does it not? There are times that you feel like you're chugging along and you're going really, really doing well. Life is going good. And then whoo, all of a sudden you're hit with a test, a trial. Something comes into your life that catches you off guard. How many of you also remember the announcement of the emergency broadcast system? This is a test. This is only a test. And then you would hear that irritating sound for 30 seconds, right? And they would tell you if this was an actual emergency, they would tell you what you needed to do. Well, that was actually instituted from 1973 to 1998. And so you could be watching television and it would interrupt. It was a weekly test. And you would hear, this is a test. This is only a test. Now, as I was reading this about Abraham, I thought, you know, Abraham, it would have helped him a little bit if he had had the first verse we just read. <laughs> if God had dropped the neon sign and said, Abraham, this is a test. This is only a test. <laughs> Haven't you wished sometimes that he would do that for you? Or that you would hear that voice from heaven like he heard Abraham? And he said, I'm here, Lord. Don't you wish the Lord had said, Abraham, this is a test. This is only a test. In fact, Steve and I use that fairly often when we're going through a trying time to lighten the mood. I'll say, this is a test. This is only a test. <laughs> How are we doing, right? Okay, we've got the advantage of knowing this is a test, but as we read through this passage of Scripture, I want you to remember Abraham did not know that. And Isaac is probably 17, 18 years old at this point, so he's not a little child, when he's faced with this test. They got the long-awaited, promised son. He's growing, he's strong, he's healthy. Life is good. 
and we will pick back up in verse 2. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you even imagine the dagger in Abraham's heart? And yet, what did he say? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac. Now remember, that had to have taken the submission of Isaac because he is 17 or 18 years old, and Abraham is old and gray and probably fairly feeble, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Let's do a quick review. Let's think about that roller coaster that has been Abraham's life. And as we go back through there, each one of these have been somewhat of a test. He was tested first when he was called and called to go where God would show, that he was to go to a land that God would give to him. He was to leave his culture, his people, his family, and he did. And then he fell into the fear of man in Egypt with Pharaoh. But then we see another test when he had to separate from Lot. And he, he did well on that test, did he not? He allowed Lot to choose. And then we have the war of the kings and the test of the plunder, and he passed that test as well. Then we have the promise believed in the cutting of the covenant in Genesis 15, but then he fails the test of waiting, which many of us struggle with that one. In Genesis 16, and they come up with the solution of Hagar. Then we see Abraham's intercession on behalf of Lot, and he passes that test, and he intervenes, and God spares Lot and his family. And then he turns around and falls again to the fear of man with Abimelech in Genesis chapter 20. Then we see the release of Ishmael in Genesis 21, which had to have been painful for him. 
But as we said, now life is going well. And he has the supreme test. Offer Isaac, your son, your only son, the one you love, as a burnt offering. That means totally consumed, nothing left behind. Abraham believed, and God worked in him to bring about his spiritual maturity. His tests developed endurance, which had its perfect result. Abraham lacked nothing when the big test came. Reflect on your own life. What are some of the trials or tests that you have experienced? Reflecting on your own responses to trials enables you to grant grace to others who are walking through a trial or a test themselves. Steve and I have been married for 42 years, and as I was studying this lesson and thinking back on our life, I think about when Grant was not quite two and he was diagnosed with a blood disorder. At the time, they thought it might be leukemia. And the wakeless, sleepless, I said not wakeless, it was sleepless night that we had before he went to Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas to have his um, test done, and we found out he had ITP, which he would eventually outgrow, and he did. But there was a period of time when his platelet count dropped to 7,000, which means you can spontaneously hemorrhage. In fact, when we took him in the first time, his platelet count was 19,000, which I thought was plenty. Surely that's enough platelets. And I said, so what's normal? He said 150 to 400,000 platelets. Of course, and I began to cry and said, what does that mean? Um, and then, of course, that's before cell phones. So I had to go all the way home to be able to call Steve. And he was at the church and get him to come home. And we called the deacons in. They anointed Grant, prayed over him. Like I said, we slept very little that night, and that's when God gave Steve a promise out of Exodus 14, 13, that these Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again. Stand by, be silent, and see the salvation of the Lord. We knew God was going to move on his behalf, but we did not know exactly how. Then when Steve was diagnosed with myasthenia in 2000 and had a tumor on his thymus and was undergoing surgery the next day, I can remember crying out to the Lord, and my, our children ranged in age from 17 to 7, and I was pleading my case before God. <laughs> I need my husband, my children need their father. And the only thing God did in response was, I am. That was what I felt so firmly impressed upon my heart and mind was, Donna, I am. I am your husband. I am their father. I am all you need. And it was a release to know that regardless of what happens the next day, Christ is faithful. He is the great I am. And he is all I need. You have your own stories of tests and trials and we could look back on them. And as we look back, we see the faithfulness of God sometimes when we've not been faithful. When we've allowed fear to root out faith in our own hearts, he is still faithful. But when it comes to the big test, there are consequences to our choices, even in the midst of test. Because we read that God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do this because you obeyed because you're walking by faith. And we see that has been the story of Abraham's life. Back to Genesis 15, 6, he has not always done it perfectly, but he has believed God. He has believed God. Arthur Pink says, here it was that God first revealed the necessity for a human victim to expiate sin. For as it was man that had sinned, it must be by man and not by sacrifice of beast that divine justice would be satisfied. What we see here, as we've said several times in the Old Testament, we see types or pictures foreshadowings of Christ. And that's exactly what this is. This call to offer Isaac 
as a burnt offering, a living sacrifice, was a picture of what Christ would do as he offered himself for our sins. Jesus Christ said of Abraham, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, how did he see it? He didn't see it, see it. He saw it by faith. He understood. In fact, Edmund Clowney says, Abraham was shown Christ's day. He was taken to the very area where the temple would later stand, to the very mount where the cross of Calvary would be erected. The heavenly father led his beloved up the hill to Golgotha. When the son, who was always pleasing to the father, cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father paid the price in his silence. Abraham had the incredible blessing that as he lifted that knife to slay his son, God cried out, Abraham, Abraham, and he stopped him. But when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus in our place and he paid the penalty for our sin, there was no stopping. He bore it all. That's why he was able to say, it is finished, paid in full. So would you remember when you think about it, and we so casually say, my sins have been forgiven. Oh, no, no. They're not just forgiven. They are paid for. Your debt has been paid. It had to be paid. They weren't wiped clean without the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we look at a comparison of Abraham and Christ and how Abraham points to Christ, and yet there are some differences, we see that God was requiring this sacrifice. He required the sacrifice of Christ to pay our penalty. The wages of sin is death. Isaac carried the wood up that hill. Christ carried his cross. Abraham bound Isaac to the altar, and Jesus was nailed to the altar of the cross. God provided the substitute, the ram. Jesus paid our debt. It was a three-day journey to the mountain, and Jesus was three days in the grave. But Abraham and Isaac returned to the two servants after they went up on the mountain to worship, and then Jesus rose from the grave, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and ascended back to the Father. Isaac Although he had to go through this, and I can't even imagine what he was experiencing, and yet it shows us his incredible trust and faith, not only in his father, but the God that his father worshipped. The God through whom he had been brought into being, the God who had allowed his mother and father who were beyond childbearing to actually give birth, and he knew God had given a promise that would be fulfilled through him. And so like Abraham, he was willing to submit to this God that his father followed so faithfully. But Jesus was forsaken by the father that we might never be forsaken by God the father. And Abraham gave God one of his compound names, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. God will provide on the Mount of the Lord. And did you get that he went to Mount Moriah, to the mountain that God would show him, and it would be upon that mountain that the temple would be built and Christ would be crucified? Same mountain range. Imagine the struggle, the agony of soul, as Abraham obeyed God, the three days travel. Can you imagine? Talk about sleepless nights and agony, wrestling, 
and yet choosing obedience and being able to see God come through in such a miraculous way. What is your Isaac? You know, we're all going to come to a supreme test at some point because God allows the little test to kind of expose the obvious idols in our life. But the supreme test is for uprooting and dislodging that thing that is the center of our life. That thing that could be a good thing, but we've made it an ultimate thing. That's what an idol is. And so God has a way of testing us so that our flesh is exposed and those things that we're depending on or clinging to are brought to the surface of our life so that they can be given to the Lord. And he is the only one who has that place of preeminence. What test are you facing? What is it that you think you could not live without? Anything we love more than Christ Because tests reveal who or what we're trusting, who or what we love. And we all go through them because he will not allow us to worship anyone other than him. Because if we do, we miss his best and the enemy can steal God's good plan for us. It is out of his great love that he allows us to go through tests and trials, those difficulties, that time of refining that causes the dross to come to the surface. You know, when you're squeezed, what's on the inside comes out. And is it pleasant? Is it Christ-like? Because if it is not, we've got some work to do with the Father. We have some inspection (laughs) to go under as we go to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, Test me, reveal any hurtful thing in me. Show me, Father, anything in my life that's not pleasing to you. And God will do that as we ask him to. And then when we get to the end of Genesis 22, we see that Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now it came about after these things, it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. He gets news from home. How perfect is the timing? Because who are we going to be introduced to? Drop down to verse 23. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight, Milcah, born to Nahor, Abraham's brother. We are introduced to Rebekah. God is always at work preparing the provision before we need it. He is letting him know, ah, you can go back to your family to get a wife for your son. We move into Genesis 23, and we see that Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Sarah is the only woman in Scripture that it tells us at her death how old she was. Usually it's just the man. You see, he, he was born, he lived this many years, and he bore these many people, and then he died. With Sarah, we get her age. She was genuinely old at this point. She was 127 years old. Now, I know she still looked good at 90, but surely she has aged by now, right? (laughs) You know, when your children are little, they can sometimes say things that are really embarrassing, especially when you're in public. And our oldest, Grant, um, is actually kind of a quiet child. I mean, he's not the most rambunctious. He's not the one that you would think would blurt these things out in public, but he was my one who did over and over. And he was somewhere between two and three. And we were in a grocery store one day and we were going down this aisle and we were passing this woman. So we were doing this, you know, passing each other. And each time we'd pass, I I noticed Grant watching her go by. And so about the third time he goes, well, mom, 
there's that old woman again. <laughs> Y'all, she was probably 35 or 40. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And then another time, we were going out of the post office, and we were stepped out, and this really tall, very thin man opened the door for us. Grant stops, looks all the way up, and goes, man, you sure are skinny. <laughs> You know, there's really no comeback for that. You know, you, you apologize profusely, you grab your child, and you try to get to the car. But I have to believe that surely if Grant had seen Sarah, he would say, now that is an old woman. <laughs> but we see that Abraham went in to mourn and to weep. You know, Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time to weep, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance. And I just want to encourage you, as I was thinking about this, we've gone through a lot of loss in the last couple of years, whether it's through COVID or loss in other ways, people who've gone on to be with Jesus and we're left separated from them, and that can be painful, and it's okay to grieve that. God gave us emotions. He knows that we miss our loved ones. He knows that the separation can seem long and painful, but we know where they are. They are more alive than we are. And that's an incredible gift and blessing. Last Wednesday, I went to lunch with my mom and another widow, and we were sitting there talking. We probably talked for at least two hours. And I was listening to their story, and they were really ministering to one another. Um, the sweet lady had asked me to go to lunch with them and invite, invited my mom as well because she wanted me to minister to her, but I felt ministered to, watching the two of them love on and minister to each other because nobody understands you like someone else who's walked the path that you're walking. And they were able to bless one another as they listened to each other's story, as they encouraged each other, and as we just enjoyed presence. And I told her, she said, you know, I think, sometimes I think, am I, am I doing okay? Am, am I making enough progress? And I said, you don't have to push yourself. All of us grieve differently and on different timetables. You don't want to get stuck in one of the stages of grief because we want to trust the Lord and we want to move on to serve and to do whatever it is he has for us because he's still giving us breath. As long as he's given us breath, he has a purpose and meaning for our life and he has things that he wants to accomplish in us and through us, good works that he has for us to do. But don't rush yourself and allow yourself to grieve. That's what Abraham did. He mourned and he wept and then he wanted to purchase, and this is the only land Abraham owned in all of Canaan all of the land that God said he would give his descendants. This is it, a field with a cave in it so that he could bury Sarah. And the interesting thing is he purchased it and really for a, an exorbitant amount of money. He took the first amount that was offered instead of bartering or negotiating, which they normally would have done. He said, yes, I'll pay that price. And so he purchased that field and he purchased that cave and there Sarah was buried. And the beautiful part of that is he also would be buried there, but so would Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Leah. And then when the, the Jewish people were in Egypt and Joseph died and he knew because God had told Abraham, your descendants are going to be in Egypt for 400 years, but then I'll raise up a deliverer and I will bring them back and then they will be a large enough group of people to be able to actually take possession of this land that I have given you. Joseph said, I know we're going back to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. Keep my bones and take my bones back with you when you go. What about Sarah's eulogy? Hebrews 11, 11 says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. 
Do you know that he's faithful? Has he proven himself for you? You know, as we read this passage of scripture, we noted in our study this week that that's the first time tears are mentioned in the Bible. You can take your tears to the Lord. He holds them all. Not one goes unnoticed. And you can rest assured that our compassionate Lord will one day, as scripture tells us, wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more tears. And as descendants of Abraham, we know we are part of that lineage, as we talked about last week, of the blessed who are in Abraham and are blessed to be a blessing to the entire world. Abraham was called to walk by faith and not by sight. Manly Beasley says, faith is dependence upon God, and this God dependence only begins when self-dependence ends. Now listen to this. Faith is the organ of the spirit that is able to see. It is as we walk by faith that God opens our eyes to the reality of the spirit realm and to what is true in his word and in life. He is the one who enables us to choose Christ above all through the power of his spirit that he gives us. F.B. Meyer says, faith is not careless of time, but more mindful of eternity. Faith does not underrate the power of man, but she magnifies omnipotence. Faith is not callous of present pain, but she weighs it against future joy. Against ill-gotten gains, she puts eternal treasure. Against human hate, the recompense of reward. Against the weariness of the course, the crown of amaranth. Against the tears of winter sowing, the shoutings of the autumn sheaves. Against the inconvenience of the tent, the permanent city. Because what does Hebrews 11 tell us about those who walked by faith? In verses 13 through 16 in the Amplified Bible, it says, All these died in faith, guided and sustained by it, without receiving the tangible fulfillment of God's promises. Only having seen, anticipated them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they're looking for a country of their own. And if they had been thinking of that country from which they had departed as their true home, they would have had a continuing opportunity to return. But the truth is that they were longing for a better country, that is, a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed of them or to be called their God, even to be surnamed their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for he has prepared a city for them. Helen Roosevelt, the great missionary to the Congo, said that we typically ask the wrong questions. In fact, she said when we're going through a test or a trial, we typically want to ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it to choose Christ? Is it worth it to obey? Is it worth it to stay the course? And she says we ask the wrong question because we should be asking, is he worthy? And the answer to that is yes, yes, he alone is worthy. What Abraham's willingness to offer Isaac and the picture of him going up that mount and tying him to the wood and putting him in the altar and lifting that knife to slay his son and God stopping him and allowing him to look and see, oh, as they were coming up the mountain, evidently the ram was coming up as well and God had caused him to get caught by his horns in the thicket and he saw God has provided 
We know from Hebrews that Abraham believed that. He was willing to go through with what God had called him to do because he knew the promise of God would be fulfilled in Isaac if God had to raise him from the dead. His faith did not waver. And I desire for my faith not to waver either. So for my faith to be strong, I have to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the pain endured the cross, despising the pain, and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. So we too fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who came from all the glories of heaven to earth through the womb of a virgin, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. And he lived in this sin-filled, dark and broken world perfectly. Just as we were created to live, imaging God for us, showing us what God the Father looks like in the flesh, Jesus Christ lived and he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. And because he was without sin, he was able to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin. And he willingly went to the cross. He said, no one's taking my life from me. I willingly lay it down. He came to die for us so that we could be back in right relationship with God the Father, so that the deadness of our spirit could come back to life just as he would be resurrected from the grave. But don't discount the pain, the pain of Jesus or the pain of the Father as he had to lift the cup of his wrath and pour it out on his son on that cross. Forsaken for the first time in all of eternity, God turned his back on his son so he would never turn it on us. Jesus bore that for me and for you. Is he worthy? Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. He alone is worthy. Sunday before last, we sang, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. Oh my goodness, I love that hymn. But the last verse gets me every time. I, can, I can't sing it. I just can't, I, I start to cry. I just, I never finish it. And the words are, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The Christian life is, only, is the only life worth living, but it's, we're only able to live it when we die to the flesh. Because it is then that our spirit man who's been brought back to life is catapulted to the forefront when our flesh is out of the way and we're able to live by the Spirit. We're able to walk with Him and talk with Him and hear His voice. I'm in the one-year chronological Bible and we're in the Gospels and I am eating up reading through the Gospels right now in Jesus' teachings. And He was teaching this morning that He's the good shepherd and that His sheep hear His voice and they know Him and they follow Him. If you are His, you will know Him. But it's only when you give your all that you receive his all. Would you make him Lord today and uproot anything in your heart that's seeking to take his place? Because he is worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you have revealed to us in your word. And Lord, the Bible reveals you to us. The Bible is your story. And Lord, every time we open your word, the most important question we can ask is, God, what are you revealing about yourself? Show us who you are. And Father, you have done that magnificently. 
through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that there was one who was crucified on that mount, who bore our sin in his body on that tree, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ. He alone is worthy of our all. And so, Lord, we offer our all to you, and we ask you to fill us and use us and bless this world through us. In Jesus' name.